Welcome to episode 4 of What Would Jeevus Do? Coming at you live from New York City as per usual. And oh, never forget what a friend you have in me. This episode is going to be a special one, and this intro is going to be a short one, because there's not a lot more to add. We had an amazing sit-down with the national correspondent for Fox News, Ed Henry, and we discussed Ed donating part of his liver to his sister Colleen. Why is that special? Why is that significant? For a lot of reasons. Let's start with that. A lot of people in the public eye, especially in the media, don't share these types of things with viewers or with even their friends. Ed did this with me because when it actually happened, when Ed went on air and talked about it, I wrote the story about it. And I wanted to bring him on because in this show, we want the real We want people to drop the act, drop the teleprompter, and be real. And that's what Ed did. Not only that, he advises the listener, and you'll hear it in the episode, to share more and to let people in on those types of things in our lives. A lot of people think that because they don't share something, that makes them stronger. That suffering and silence somehow makes us tough. That can be true. There is kind of an air of strength and toughness that comes when you look at someone and say, wow, like they they went through that and never said a word about it. But there is strength in sharing as well. It's not easy. It's not easy to share. And Ed will testify to that. And I can testify to that. Things that are so deep, sometimes you feel vulnerable or you feel like it's not your place to share. Or you don't want to open yourself up to judgment or to comparison. So you keep it on the back burner. But Ed rightfully points out that he would have been gone from the show or from his job for months and nobody would know where he was. And as a public figure, I think for him, and I I would agree, it was easier to just, you know, kind of face the music and share what was going on than to have to field questions and not be fully honest. And I got to say, I was moved to tears when Ed went on TV and talked about his sister. I had a lot going on that day myself personally, but you know, you can have a lot going on personally any day and not everything is going to move you to tears. Uh, It moved me deeply because it was real. And it reminds us that these things that we hold so dear, that we think are so important, that run our lives, really. The temporal things. They end up mattering the least. Well, if they don't matter, then I'm sure you're asking, what does? Well, the politics of the moment, the nitty-gritty, the arguing, the fighting, he has more, I have less, all of that, that doesn't matter. It feels like it does what clothes you wear, who you're going out with, how big your house is, how smart your kids are. These are all things we do strive to attain in our lives. 
But what really matters, what's the real meat of it? Family. That's number one. And it illustrates how important it was to him when he did this for his sister and how in the end he ends up telling us that it wasn't a sacrifice that he made and that he wasn't the hero. He was the one that ended up receiving the blessing and his sister was the hero. We talk about family. We talk about faith. We talk about just living, knowing that you're here for a reason, that your actions matter, that they echo throughout time. And it really gets into the meat of that and discusses a lot of the good stuff that came out of his ordeal and his sister's ordeal. And it's something that I think you're going to enjoy. So without further ado, Ed Henry with A Brother's Love. today man really appreciate thanks so much nick it's great to be on your podcast that's great to have you man and i know we'd met a couple times actually when i was an intern i bumped into you a little bit we never met officially like for a lot of time but um i'd written up a couple stories about you and i got to know you ever since i started working uh, at fox and i love your work man Uh, i love how you're always out in front you always say what you're thinking and it's it's rare today and uh i can only imagine i appreciate that but i should say that uh you know we're going to talk a little bit about what happened this summer when i donated part of my liver to my sister colleen and she's doing great uh that's the headline oh Um, yeah but uh, what people would not know behind the headline is that you were somebody who early on in sort of drama that played out when i announced it on on fox and friends and then you know there was a lot of wonderful support from people not just in the fox viewing audience but you know, I was I was getting people literally around the world sending prayers and whatnot. But you were one of the first people to contact me, and you were uh, sending me uh, emails and you know Bible verses, and uh, and that meant a lot. And so that's why I wanted to do the podcast. But I think people should know the man behind the microphone uh, that uh, you're somebody who who really does a great job at Fox. I really appreciate that. And you know, funny story. I don't think I ever told you this part of it, but when you I came in that day, and I was having a crazy day myself, and I'd been through, as I told you in those emails you mentioned, I'd had some health issues, and they um I actually just had a breakup, and I was kind of all over the place. And they were like, "Hey, we need you to write this story up." Ed's been on the air. I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. And when I wrote it up, I was moved so much that I had to go out of the room, and and I was I got emotional. I got to say, Ed, I. I I'd never seen someone be that open and, and honest about something so personal on, on television. Well, you know, I was about to tease you about the breakup and say, I feel like, you know, <laughs> you need a long distance dedication and then maybe this is the Casey Kasem uh, podcast. But, uh, but I can't because of what you said, because, you know, you make a serious point and that means a lot That's because, okay. you know, this was something where, you know, what I heard, um, I mean, you know, we'll go through it. I heard a lot of different things in terms of people's reaction. But I think the biggest I heard for me personally, and the stories about my sister Colleen, so that I'm sure that's what we're going to focus on, but yeah, is, definitely. is, you know, people say, hey, you're this straight newsman who gives us the facts. Um, and what I still hear to this day is, man, you know, you showed some vulnerability by going out there and talking about this. And as I've tried to reconstruct the events of that day, so the surgeries for my sister and I were July 9th. And as I mentioned at the top, most importantly, they were successful. My sister's doing really well. That's and great. we'll detail that. But but, um, you know, two days earlier, I was on Fox and Friends, what you were talking about, I guess, when you came in and you're dealing with a breakup, you had your own health issues, uh, and, and thankfully you're doing better. Um, and it was an emotional day for me. And a lot of people were watching and they said, you know, man, you know, you showed vulnerability. I didn't really think through that. I genuinely wanted to explain to the audience. We have a very loyal audience. 
and I'll get tweets from people saying, oh, you know, if I take a day off, like, I didn't see you on Fox and Friends today. Are you okay? And I thought, you know, I'm about to leave for maybe two, maybe three months. I really didn't know how long the recuperation was going to be. And mostly I just want to say, hey, here's what I'm doing. I didn't want to pat myself on the back. I didn't want people to uh, go out and give money to my sister, but they ended up doing that. They ended up, you know, my, her friends put together a GoFundMe, and people were so generous in terms of helping her uh, pay her bills because she has been out of work now for several months um, as she recuperates. Um, but the vulnerability, I think, is what people connected with because, uh, you know, you take a chance when you sort of open up and, and talk about yourself, uh, which I don't usually do on the air. And I guess the real point to me is that I was gratified that people responded and most importantly, rally behind my sister. Uh, and I felt those prayers from literally around the world. I, I had emails from Israel uh, to, you know, uh, New York and California and everywhere in between. It was honest. It wasn't practice. You could tell if you watched it, anybody watched the clip. And so tell me what it was like. I mean, did, did your sister call you and say, Ed, I, I have some news and I, I need your help. But did you come in person? Did you visit? Well, her? How, how it's did it more happen? complicated than that, you know, um, which is that it, 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 it was not a moment or a day, you know, where my sister came to me. I'm, uh, I guess I'd answer it. Number, number one, it played out over many years that she was sick. Uh, and I can get into that. But I think the most important point is she never called me and said, hey, I need your help. Um, that's really the point of the story uh, that I think shows my sister is the hero. You know, I had so many people after I announced this and then after the surgery happened, oh, you're a hero. You're so selfless. I appreciate it. But actually, I believe that my sister is the hero. And that's not false modesty. She dealt with liver disease for as I've sort of pieced it together now during my recuperation, I had some time to 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 journal about this a little bit and cool. you know I'm thinking about writing a book and uh putting it all together uh is that you know it's about 13 years that she suffered mostly in silence in the sense that did I know that she had an issue yes but did she detail it for me or others in the family no why not well you know it's complicated i think a lot of people uh don't like to talk about themselves and they think a lot of people don't like to burden other people with their problems uh, and I think one of the lessons from my sister's journey and my journey is that, you know, as much as you can, I don't want to tell people how to live their lives, um, share, you know, try to share as much as you can with friends and family because they, they may be there to help. And mm -hmm. um, my sister just, she's a single mom, she's got a couple of kids and thought, you know, I, as a single mom, she's always taking things on her back, right? She's always like, I got this. She works two jobs. Um, she she works harder than anybody I, I, I know. Um, and And yet... Um, she didn't want to burden me and others in the family, my parents and others with the details of what she was going through. She had a form of cirrhosis, didn't have anything to do with alcohol. It was hereditary. It wasn't something she brought on herself with lifestyle. She, she, um, just, you know, started out, she passed out at work, you know, many years ago. They check it out. Well, you've got anemia. Oh, you've got this other thing. Oh, wait, let's take another blood test. Well, it looks like there could be something else. Oh, wait, hang on. You know, we want to send you to a gastroenterologist. Okay, well, um, you're going to do an endoscopy. You know, endoscopy. You're going to do this. Um, oh, wait, there's something we don't like in this number. And and again, this was not one day, one week, one month. This is over years. Uh, and finally, they isolated that it was the liver. Then they narrowed it down that it was a form of cirrhosis. Um, and so it came to a head a few couple of years ago, mm -hmm. where they said, you know, look, you're going to need a new liver. Uh, they said to my sister and we want to put you on the national list. And, and one of the things I think talking about it with you and talking about it on Fox mm -hmm. has raised awareness. There's a yes. lot of great, you know, living donor.org and, um, uh, you know, um, 
the Living Bank in Houston. Uh, I've talked to them, the American Liver Foundation. There's so many great organizations that you could check out online. But if you go on the national donor list looking for not just a liver but a kidney or any organ, uh, you know, you can wait on that list for years, and you may or may not survive waiting for a so-called cadaver liver. Mm. And so at the key moment a couple of years ago, uh, my sister's medical team said, you know what? You're going to have to go on the national list, but that, you know, you might wait a long time. So you've got to go talk to, do you have any siblings? Yeah, I got a brother. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to go talk to him. And she refused. That's the point. Wow. She said, no, I don't want to burden him. Uh, he's got a wife. He's got kids. He's got a career. Um, I want to deal with my problems. And they also, you know, it's not just about me. They also said, well, what about children? And, you know, her son and daughter are, are not babies, but they're not you know, a full grown adults per se. And mm-hmm. so I think the both physical and mental aspect of, of doing this, she just didn't really want to bring it on her kids. Um, and so she's the hero because she kept saying, I'm going to deal with this on my own. And eventually, um, I picked up that the thing that she was dealing with that I'd known about was getting worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I picked that up just from observing her. Um, she had hidden it kind of well by, you know, like, you know, with liver disease, your your skin changes um, and she was getting more yellow and jaundiced. But, you know, you can put on makeup and you can, you can do other things where you don't always look as bad as you feel. Um, and then I started talking to some of her friends and some of, some of her friends kind of approached me and said, you know, she's trying to take this on, but she needs help. Um, and so then I got involved and it was all a secret because you can't really talk about it because, you know, you have to go through a lot of medical tests. And I went through tests for months because they have to screen you for all kinds of things. Whether do I have a liver problem? Do I have a blood issue? Um, and so you don't want to tell your sister, Hey, I'm going to do this. Uh, and then they give you all these tests and find out a month later, well, actually you have a genetic issue and you can't donate because think about it mentally for my sister. If she thought, Oh, wow, I have some hope. My brother's going to help me. And then a month later, I call her and say, actually, the doctors say I can't. So I had to go through a lot of this in secret. And I've written about it at foxnews.com if if this is the first time people are hearing about it. Um, And uh, it was a difficult journey. But in the end, um, I was a match. And uh, I had to lose some weight in order to um, get my liver and my my body overall just healthy enough to survive the surgery. It was about six or so hours of surgery for me, probably eight or so hours for her. We were in side-by-side, you know, operating rooms, and uh, and it was quite a remarkable day, uh, you know, of those surgeries. Uh, but like I say, she, my, you know, Colleen is doing very well. She's been out of the hospital for a while now. You know, and at some point, we'll tell more of the story. I, you know, we've got to give her some time and space to, to get better. Yeah. But she's doing really well. That's amazing, Ed. I mean, were you... So let me ask you this. I mean, I had a moment where uh, I got in touch. I just, I was by chance with Dr. Carson, Dr. Ben Carson. He told me once yeah. when I was sick that your prayer life is very important in this. Did you and your sister, uh, did you pray at all about this? Did you have spiritual moments? Were you, were you thinking about it? It must have weighed heavily on, on both your minds leading up to it. You want it to go well. Uh, what, what was that like? What was that part of your yeah. life like? Uh, we're Catholic. We both believe in it deeply, and, and we did pray on it individually and together. And then, uh, But I think bigger than our own prayers really what was bigger would be the prayers that were coming in from around the world that I mentioned briefly. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you could say that, uh, and so, you know, people sent thoughts and prayers and, you know, it's kind of a throwaway. Um, no, it was bigger, you know, um, emails, texts, Twitter, Facebook. I mean, every Instagram, literally every form of social media, I was getting prayers. Um, I was getting notes from people saying, Hey, you know, I was just at the Catholic mass in 
so-and-so Ohio or so-and-so Maryland where, where I live. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody put in an intention and they said the mass for you and your sister. I mean, this was happening, you know, after, you know, say on, like, I, I remember as I piece it together, because it was kind of a whir, as you can imagine. I mean, yeah. just, uh, as soon as I announced it, it was just the incoming in terms of messages and prayers. Um, but I remember the Monday, um, you know, so I announced on Sunday that we were going to be having surgeries on Tuesday. And Sunday night and Monday, the prayers that were coming in, and I remember getting emails on Monday saying, you know, there, there's a mass being said for you today. Um, another email I remember, there's a mass being said for you tomorrow, the day of the surgeries. Um, on Tuesday, uh, I got a, a video from Ainsley Earhart, you know, one of our great colleagues at, awesome. at uh, Fox, who, who, you know, has a Bible study program on Fox Nation and is very open about her faith, um, where, you know, she sent me a video that I didn't see until after the surgery because I shut down my phone to focus. But, you know, as I, as I turned my phone back on either that Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, I, you know, I, there were a stream of messages and prayers, but specifically the video from Ainsley where she was on the curvy couch of Fox and Friends with Pete Hegseth and Steve Ducey and said, Ed, we're praying for you. We're thinking about, and, and you know, and, and, and there was, a, you know, what's great about texts and all that is there's a timestamp, you know, and, and it was timestamped, you know, as I recall it about 749 or something. And I was going into surgery with my sister at 730. And I remember that 749 because I've tried to piece some of this together and think about, you know, as I try to write thank you notes and call people and, and, and you know, because it was impossible to thank everybody that week. Yeah. Um, you know, to answer your question very directly, the prayers were heard by us. They were felt by us. And I think Dr. Ben Carson is right that, you know, of course, you know, prayers alone are not going to get the job done. You've got to have doctors who know what they're mm-hmm. doing. We were at Mount Sinai in New York and, and they did a phenomenal job. Um, but the prayers do matter and we felt them. It was remarkable. Had you ever been in the hospital before or had major surgery or anything like that? Or no. was this your first experience? Okay. How did no, that, really how that my feel? first experience. Yeah, I mean, you know, I had had some minor surgery um, when I was, like, in my 20s. I, I vaguely remember, um, like, a minor thing. And and um, so, and I, thank God, had never been in the hospital sick with anything. And uh, and so this was my first real experience. And so, you know, you hear the good and the bad. You hear horror stories about the hospital, and you hear good things. It was a mostly a wonderful experience for us in terms of, I mean, nobody wants to be in the hospital, so yeah, you know, maybe wonderful is the wrong word, but <laughs> it really was wonderful in the sense of the doctors and the nurses, by the way, because I think the doctors often get all the credit, but the nurses that we had before, during, and after the surgeries were remarkable. And I guess, you know, just to take a step back, um, medical science, you know, modern medicine, you know, you know, yes, it's scary to be in the hospital for anything. But this was sort of positive. I mean, yeah, it was scary in its own way. And, 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 you know, any major surgery is serious for my sister mostly, but for me as well. But the idea that these surgeons could go in and take 30% of my liver, cut it out, keep me alive. My liver regenerates within four to six weeks. So I'm good. I've got a hundred percent of my old liver. And oh, by the way, they throw 30% of my liver into like a, like a cooler, you know, to keep it on ice for a little while so that it, that it stays well, the cells don't die. And in the adjoining operating room, they hand it off one surgeon to the next, uh, and put this 30, 30% of my old liver into my sister. And that regenerates in four to six weeks so that she has 100% of her liver. And oh, the old one is thrown away because it was diseased. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, her, my sister's doctor's now saying, you know, around the holidays, you know, she might be able to have a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, seriously? And she said, they said, yeah, the liver that had the disease is gone. And she said, my liver. And then in her text, she said, well, your liver, which is now my liver, um, is brand new. And, you know, so they, in all seriousness, in terms of the drinking, you know, they try to make sure that you don't put any toxins into a, a newly regenerated liver immediately. Um, but you know, but you know, this happened in July, as I said, the surgeries. So around Thanksgiving and Christmas, you're talking about five or six months. Uh, and the doctors are saying that both my sister and I are going to be able to have a, have a glass of wine. So, um, modern medicine is something you, you can take for granted, but you shouldn't. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. I, I've seen it too. And I know exactly what that's you're the right about. word. Right? Yeah, Miracle. That's, right. that's all I can say. And like you, you pair both together, as you said, and Carson said, you know, you're going to have the lasers and the, and the doctors and the, you know, the scalpels, but yeah. you know, both, both help in the end. Do you feel that you, I mean, any, any job is a grind. And of course, you know, in our job, we focus a lot on, on things that are day to day. Did you feel like this gave you more perspective over big picture stuff or, or did you feel like you were, already, Oh yeah. Yeah. So no, it did, it did a, shift a little bit. Oh yeah, no, that's a great question. I think that's maybe the most important question for me personally, you know, because obviously for my sister, the most important question is her health and, uh, and all that. Um, and for me, yes, it was serious surgery, but I always felt like I was in good hands and the recovery was, took a couple months. You know, I said at the top, it might take two or three months. And, uh, my doctors were kind of amazed that I bounced back quicker and I came back to work. Um, I think it was about September 6th. The surgery was July 9th. So it was two months. Um, Mm -hmm. but perspective that that's everything. Um, you know, when I was, uh, recovering over the summer, you know, I had the added benefit, I guess you can call it because it didn't feel like a benefit at first because I was crying my eyes out, but my son, I had to bring my son to college for the first time (laughs) since the first child I brought to college and that's tough. Yeah. Um, and that adds some perspective. And I mentioned that because, you know, there's a lot happening this summer, you know, July surgery helped save my sister, both recovering my son going to college. Uh, but so that helped give some perspective. But as I was recovering and I was like driving my son to college and all that, I was like hearing like, you know, scattered news reports about the latest controversy in Washington. And I, I would just like turn the radio off literally. And I would turn on sports radio or I'd turn on a, a podcast. I want to listen to because I'd be like, I don't care. And awesome. I don't mean that anti-Democrats, anti-president. No, anti- no, of course, anybody. of course not. I'm like, you know, I'd hear some lawmaker in either party come on. You know, I'd be listening to Fox on my Sirius XM radio, and they might come out with something about the latest, you know, story of the day. Mm-hmm. I was like, really? Like, you think that's a big, you know, this or that? <laughs> yep. Um, you know, and and um, I did a lot of books on tape, and I was just like, I want to get, you know, some deeper things. These day-to-day things sometimes are so ridiculous. And And then when I came back to work, I genuinely felt like my life had changed, like, you know, there's something that someone will come to my office with like, oh, we were going to have this guest on Fox and Friends and the person canceled, you know, and I might have been angry about it six months ago. I'm like, OK, whatever. It's all good. I mean, my sister, my sister was dying, you know, and she's alive now and doing well and not just alive, but thriving, I think. Um, and so who cares? You know, and I think exactly. all of us need these things every now and again. And I'm sure you probably felt felt it with your illness that. You know, all of a sudden, when when your health is challenged, you know, you, you get new perspective, but different things matter. You you mentioned the faith piece. It's always there. It's not like, you know, I, I hate, you know, I wrote a whole book about faith with, with um, Jackie Robinson. It's called 42 Faith. Um, and um, 
came out a couple of years ago. I'm a big baseball fan. And I remember as I was interviewing various people about Jackie Robinson's faith, you know, people would tell me, you know, look, some people use faith like a fire engine, right? Like when you're in trouble. So you're going to have a big surgery. All of a sudden you're on your knees at St. Patrick's Cathedral yeah. praying. You can't just use it as a fire engine. It's got to yeah. be a central part of your life or, or not. It either It's either or. Um, and so the faith piece was really important, but all of a sudden, um, it's not just about your faith. It's just about your whole life and your perspective. And I think that's the word you use, and it's an important one. I just, there's a lot of things that roll off my back now, and I think that's great. I'm, I'm pretty stress-free because I'm just like, does that matter? That Should I care? Should I lose my cool over that? Um, and I, I feel like I was a pretty balanced person like that before. Um, and I, I tried not to let little things, you know, blow up. But we all have our moments where, you know, we make mountains out of molehills or whatever analogy you want to use. Well, now I, I just, I, I, I don't, I, I don't worry about the molehills anymore. How amazing that you get that gift, not just from a, an adverse, you know, an adversity surgery that you had yeah. to go through. It was something that was good in and of itself. And then on top of that, it gave you kind of this gift, this freedom to, to see what was important in life. You know, I mean, you're right. It gave me that. And then, you know what? It made me healthier because I mentioned I had to lose yeah. weight. I had to get in tip top shape for the surgery. And so people say, well, oh, you did so much for your sister. I, I turn around and say my sister did a lot for me. Well said. Ed. Well said. I mean, I, I can't. I have a sister. I have a brother. I I knew exactly how you felt when you were on air doing that and then getting pumped up to do that. I mean, look, look what God did and turn that around, you know, in your favor and rewarded your faith and, and adversity. And I mean, you're, you're right. As far as, you know, the prayer connection, too, I feel like you could you said you talked about a fire engine. Uh, other people say yeah. vending, vending machine is a popular one to say, you know, <laughs> God's not a vending machine. In my in my illness, it even took me years to figure it out. I stopped treating it as if it was some entity that I would go to with shame or with when I needed help. It was turning to my side and treating it like a friend, you know, not help me. Yeah. Can you help me? Well, and, and I, you know, know, people of all faiths as well, you know, I mentioned I'm Catholic, but I had friends who were Muslim who were reaching out to me and offering prayers. I had a, a rabbi I'm, I'm friendly with out in Los Angeles who I mentioned Israel early. He was in Israel on a trip uh, and, you know, Rabbi Cooper, and he just said, I just I was rereading the note the other day because it brought me great strength. And I thought, here's people of all faiths, you know, and just saying, you know what, we're thinking about you. We're praying about for Colleen. And and that meant the world to me because it really lifted us up. It literally lifted us up. Oh, Ed, I only ask you one last question because I know you're a busy man and we covered a lot. But um, I just want to ask you through all of this. Did you learn anything about yourself that surprised you? I know your sister is definitely the focus of this. You did it for her. She did a lot for you. But through your own uh, journey here, did, did you think you might be scared and that you couldn't do it and then you did it? Yeah, maybe just the losing the weight. Was there anything that you were like, wow, I never knew I had this inside of me until this happened? Yeah, I mean, I genuinely was not scared until um, I had to announce it. And I just remember that morning, I was like sort of like the – you know, dry heaves almost. I was like in a hallway at Fox in the middle of the show. And, you know, they're like, okay, you know, you're coming up. And I knew I had to announce it. And, you know, very few people knew about it. I'm like, I'm about to tell like a couple million people about this. And I always knew it was going to be hard, but I couldn't believe how hard it really was. And I remember being on a staircase alone uh, in between, you know, like during a commercial break. And I remember exactly where I was standing and I was just like, heaving, you know, like, uh, you know, can I, I literally like, uh, like, yeah. am I going to walk off and not be able to do this? And 
I had some colleagues say, you know, you should drink water because you can't cry while you're drinking water. There were all these different <laughs> things people were giving me. And and uh, and then I went on and I actually had a script written out because I thought, you know, it'll be easier if I just read this. Because if I have to do this off the cuff, I'm just going to cry. And then I looked up at the script when it was my time and I said, okay, I'm not going to read that. And I turned and I, I, if you look at the video, I just sort of started losing it. And mm-hmm. and then I just, you know what? People, like I mentioned at the top, said, oh, you were vulnerable and real and authentic and that's what they connected with. I realized really quickly about myself, you just got to be real. Like there's no other way to do it. Like you could try to read a script. You could try to say, oh, this is what I'm thinking. Just just be real. Just spit it out. Uh, and I, I, I felt like I was, you know, there was like, a, you know, I was just opening my guts and, uh, and, uh, and just building it out and just saying, here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. And, uh, it felt amazing, you know, because I had this bottled up for months where I was like going to Mount Sinai to take blood tests. A couple of people at work knew a couple of people in my family, a couple of friends, but I mean, you could count on, on maybe two hands, how many people knew and so there was a burden with keeping that wrapped up in me as well. And it was like this steam valve of just, here it is, you know? And so <laughs> it was so much anxiousness in that staircase before the, the, the announcement that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. But then once I let it out, I felt I literally, you know, when people say, you know, you know, weight off your shoulders, mm-hmm. I just exhaled. And uh, I found out about myself, like, I can do this. And when I put my mind to something... Uh, you know, and I have to say, I haven't mentioned yet, you know, I did on the air, but I'd say again, management at Fox from the CEO, Suzanne Scott on down, you know, there are a lot of people mm-hmm. out there who like to attack Fox and, oh, you did this wrong or you did that wrong. And uh, you want to come after Fox and say that it's not family friendly or that it doesn't look out for its own or it's not a wonderful place to work. You're going to have to come through me because I saw <laughs> from the top uh, people who said, well, you know, at some point I had to tell my bosses, like, I might disappear for a couple of months. I don't know how long. And, you know, there are some bosses at some companies who say, what do you mean? Like, how long? Yeah. And what's... And Suzanne Scott and Jay Wallace and others said, go. Take care of your sister as long as you need. They never questioned. They said, come back when you're ready. We're not pushing you. Uh, and that was also a great weight off my shoulders because I didn't have to worry about that. But I guess what I found out about myself is when I when I put my mind to something, I feel like I really can do it. You always think... Oh, you know, if I set this goal, I'm going to meet it. We all think that about ourselves. This was bigger than, oh, I'm going to, you know, um, I'm going to save this much money this month, or I'm going to, this was, I'm going to have to lose 15 pounds to help save my sister. It, you know, I had to, I, day in, day out, I, I had to, you know, do more than, uh, than, than set a goal. I actually had to follow through on it. And, uh, mm-hmm. I feel great that, that, in the end, it was it was about my sister and my sister, uh, you know, uh, and I came together. And you mentioned, you know, your your siblings. I found through this process that, you know, whether, you know, my sister and I have always been close, but we didn't live in the same city for a long time. You, you end up having your own families, your own kids. And in some ways, you go your, your separate ways. But in moments when the chips are down, you've got to be there for your, your siblings. And, and uh, I think this is a story mostly about sibling love. It is. It is. And I'm actually the episode title. I was going to call it a brother's love because of, you know, your love for uh, your sister. It's, it really is amazing. And you're now in not just a spiritual sense, but the physical sense always with her. You know, a piece yeah, of it's a health story. It's a faith story. You it know, is. there are a lot of angles. And, you know, I, I do hope that people um, look into 
living donations. I mean, I've got yes. a new program on Fox on Saturdays and Sundays at noon Eastern, in addition to Fox and Friends, America's news headquarters with Ed Henry. And I'm going to plan on making, not every weekend, because I don't want people to, I don't want to, you know, again, as I said at the top, if people can make up their own minds about what they want to do. I don't want to force people into, you should be an organ donor. But I just want people to know about the possibilities out there. And I'll tell you real quick that, you know, there are several thousand people uh, right now who are waiting on the national donor list. I mentioned look, waiting for a so-called cadaver liver, you know, for someone to die. And then you need to be a match. And you go through all these hoops. Um, and yet, la- you know, in the last year, there have only been about 400 people who were living donors for livers. You could also be a living donor for a kidney. You obviously, you can't do it for a heart or a lung. So it's only liver or kidney that you could be a quote-unquote living donor where you, mm-hmm. you, it's not a cadaver liver. It's not a cadaver kid- kidney. It's somebody who's still alive. Do you know that out of the thousands of people who, who received liver transplants last year, only 400 received it the way I gave it to my sister? And yet there are thousands of people listening to this, watching Fox, thousands of people across America right now who could be living donors. And I'm testament, a living testament to it's difficult. I don't want to sugarcoat it, but mm-hmm. it's not really that hard. You can do it. You can live. You can thrive. I feel healthier today. I gave up alcohol for several months. I feel great. Um, and you can help save a life. It could be your sister, your brother, could be a friend, could be a stranger. And do you realize that only 400 people, like I said last year, um, were living liver donors? And yet I'm told by the American Liver Foundation that four or five people a day die waiting for a new liver. How can four or five people a day die when there are hundreds or thousands of people who could be just donating part of the liver? You don't have to get, you know, because if you gave up your whole liver, you wouldn't live. I get it. You know, the, yeah. the whole regeneration thing I mentioned. And I get it's difficult, you know, giving up part of your liver, you might be scared, but I'm telling you, I'll talk to you. Call me. Um, <laughs> yep. You can do this. How can four or five people a day in America die waiting for a liver when meanwhile, a cousin, a friend could be providing that? Again, I'm not forcing anybody into it. I'm just saying, look into it. Check think into about it. it. You know, go to livingdonor.org because I think, you know, the government has a lot of information out there. The Living Bank in Houston that I mentioned has a lot of info. Um, and, and I think we can make a real difference. I am very much looking forward to your book. And Ed, thank you for being real with us because we don't, we don't get it so seldom in life in general, but especially from people that are you know, public figures. It's good to see the humanity and, and the real. So yeah, I'm thinking it. about the book that you mentioned and there'll be, you know, if, if we can put this together, it'll be something we announce next year. Um, but, um, I'm, you know, like I said, I've been journaling about it and I've been, been excited to, to, to at least, uh, throw out the idea. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I think we can make a difference in a lot of lives. A worthy pursuit, an amazing story. Ed Henry, uh, pleasure to have you on, man. I hope we can interview you again about uh, about your book or another amazing story. I'm sure this won't be the last one. Thanks for all your support during, during our journey. It was easy, Ed. You made it easy. You led by example. We thank you for that. Take care. Well, there you have it. That was the one and only Ed Henry. And I got to say, even now, I, I feel a little emotional about what Ed had to say. I don't know about you, but I feel like a a man in a, that's been in a desert for months and is just dying of thirst. And the water that I seek is is just people being honest and real. I'm not looking to have everyone's dirty laundry aired for everyone to see. That's not what I'm talking about. 
What I'm talking about is what Ed gave us here in this episode. No fanfare, no coddling, no patronizing. Just the truth as best he could tell it. And there was such beauty in that. You could hear it in his voice, in how his mood would change and how he would become filled with love and with emotion when he would speak of his sister and of the sacrifice and of the real love that he he had there for her. That just rejuvenates me. I don't know how it makes you, the listener, feel. I hope it makes an impact. I think it does. But that's like saying, if we can't have that, it's like saying we can't have air. We can't breathe. And he didn't have to do this. Uh, Before I discuss what I would have done and and my take on on Ed's story, I just want to quickly say that Ed didn't have to come on and share that again. And he did. And I thanked him already in person, but I want to take another opportunity to thank him again for coming on because and encouraging others to share because we don't get that a lot. And that again, that's the point of this show. To grab the interesting people that haven't shared the personal parts of their lives as much. But yet they have so much to offer and so much wisdom and they should be towards the front leading us in that regard. We should be giving them more leeway to do these types of things and share these types of stories because I got to repeat, life is short. It is shorter than you're ever going to realize. Tomorrow you're going to wake up, boom, 25 years are going to have passed. And suddenly your body's going to hit certain limits where you're going to start to keep more of a time record of how much time you have left. And with each passing day, week, and month, you're going to start to look at the body of work that is your life and you're going to wonder, could I have done more? Could I have gone the extra inch, the extra mile, helped one more person? Well, Ed did that. I can't speak to the the rest of his his life's body of work, but I can say that this one left an impression and made a mark. Now, when we get to this part of the show, I like to share my thoughts on what the person did. And well, let's first nail down what Ed did as far as what, what I would do in that regard. So let's discuss the sibling aspect of it. I have a brother. I have a sister. My older brother's name is Tom. He's about seven years older than me, and my older sister's name is Alicia. She's about 11 years older than me. They both live in the New York area. I'm blessed that I get to see them quite often. I've lived with my brother on and off. I'll crash a lot at my sister's to visit my 10-month-old nephew, Benedict. And I love them so much. It doesn't... Without them, I'd have been a completely different person. I'd have missed out on so many amazing, good, funny, worthwhile things that I did and discovered in my life. And not just that, but there's this connection, unspoken or not, between you and your siblings. I want to talk more about this later in the show and as we go, but I'm a big believer in the idea of an invisible thread. A connection between each one of us that maybe can't be seen, but it's there. And the thread can be strengthened through things like compassion and love and sacrifice. And it can be severed by things such as death, anger, bitterness, betrayal. 
And I feel like with siblings, it's already kind of hardwired or hard-coded into your DNA. I've heard stories of siblings that have come back to help each other or save each other the way Ed did after not speaking for years. Literally hating each other on the surface, but knowing that in the end, blood isn't just thicker than water. Blood is everything. There are strangers that you go and help and, you know, give donations to or give your time to. How can you do that and not do right by your family? St. Paul speaks of kin in the Bible and how a man without kin can't regard himself kindly, meaning if you don't have that family, if you haven't strengthened that inner circle and made the most of what God gave you, then your life is hollow. And in this case, I would, would not hesitate if my sister or my brother needed part of my liver. Wouldn't hesitate. It would be hard. I'm not going to lie. I would probably, it would probably, I'd probably have days where when I had to clean out my liver and exercise and get the testing done and go through the stress of kind of putting myself under the microscope, there'd be days where I might regret having signed up for it or be scared or be frustrated. But as far as the initial moment and the feeling that would sustain me, the bedrock of wanting to do this for my siblings, it would be a yes immediately and it would never change. I'd go under the knife, and I've been under the knife seven times, and each one worse than the last, and I always swore to myself I'd never go back into an OR if I had control over it. But after doing this episode, I guess that's not fully true, because I would go under for them. I'd actually consider it a privilege and an honor to be able to help them and give them that gift and put my life and theirs in perspective all in one fell swoop. Now, that that being said, when it comes to the sharing aspect of it, Ed went on television and shared this on Fox and Friends, and he said he had trouble during the episode. You heard him. He said he was heaving, dry heaving in the, in the hallway, and he was nervous, and he was uh, mixed up emotionally. You know, he didn't really know how to feel. So in that regard... Would I have shared my struggle on the cable news or with the network where I work? Probably not. And what I would have done instead, to be fair, not that I wouldn't share it. Ed sharing it, I think, was the right decision. I think him going out there and being real was amazing. It affected me deeply. He said it affected people all around the world. It gave them hope and it gave them courage and it made them feel good. Great. But I might have built up to it. Maybe share it first on a radio show or a podcast where you don't have a camera in your face, where the microphone is kind of the only boss, and you can take your time, and you can read off something or not. It's not based on a teleprompter. You can have notes in front of you, and maybe more of a friendly, controlled host, you know, someone that really, you know, on TV, it's hard to control everything. With a podcast, a radio show, it's a lot easier to control the environment, the audio, the setting, because you're not under a visual constraint. You're not being watched. So I think the difference that I would have done is I would have warmed up to it or maybe released it in a newsletter you know, first and kind of test the pH in the pool. Let it, let it flow out slowly. Instead, Ed went on and, and it kind of all hit him at once and I don't think he was ready for it and boom, you know, it caught him by surprise. But 
that's not a bad thing. I want to make clear that just because I might have done the lead up to the sharing part, the public sharing part a little differently, Ed was a warrior. What he did should be admired and recognized and celebrated because it wasn't just the sacrifice or it wasn't just the risk that he took. It was with the love with which he did it. Now, it's true. It's not always in what you say. It's in what you do. But it also is how you do it, how you say it. And Ed's always been this jolly guy, even when I didn't know him personally. I loved his presence on TV uh, when I'd bump into him in D.C., here and there, always energetic, always trying to chase the truth and the story, and apparently in his home life, just trying to be a good brother like the rest of us. So I hope this episode, as we continue to move along here, we're going to interview all kinds of people. But I hope this episode specifically shows you that just because someone's on TV in front of the camera has kind of an influential job, it doesn't mean that their struggle is any less or any different than you or me or any other average person walking around on the street. As I said in the podcast with Tucker Carlson, none of us gets out of this alive. There are some things that status or education or luck or your life or your genes, none of that can escape. And this episode shows that, that, you know, death in our families or, or our loved ones being at risk, we're all open to that. Nothing shields us from that. You may buy yourself time or luck may grant you a reprieve, but in the end, you got to pay the tab. And I think Ed did an amazing thing by, by buying his sister more time and giving her a, more of a full life, but most importantly, for sharing it with us. And doing so in a way that wasn't humble bragging or arrogant or, you know, he didn't hold back too much, but he also didn't spill too much. I thought it was, it was perfectly done. And he deserves a salute for that. It's hard to, to do these things with dignity and grace in today's world. And he did it masterfully. And I hope we can have him back on. In the podcast, he discusses uh, a possibility about maybe a book, maybe writing with his sister if she's on board and, and they both find the groove. But I want to end, you know, by saying that being a living donor, a living organ donor is also something that Ed mentioned. And I think that's an aim that is full of merit that, you know, only 400 people, I believe Ed said, got living organ transplants in, in the year that they were recording the data, 2018, 2019. I'd have to look it up. But if that's true, that's egregious and that's terrible. And I hope that this can generate some discussion about that, that healthy individuals who are prime candidates to share, you know, parts of their organs or, you know, are up to the task, hear this and go out and, and give someone another shot at life. For what is a greater act of love or an act of humanity than fully embracing the idea of self-sacrifice and giving so that someone else might live. Think on that, and as you do, we'll be back in two weeks. We have a great episode coming up for you. I'm going to tease it on our Twitter. I want, to, I want it to sit for a little while. I want to see what our topic is going to be with our next guest before I tell you who it is, but I think you're going to appreciate what this guest has to bring as far as life, wisdom, and I'm very surprised every time this person and I talk, I always feel reinvigorated for my love for life and, and I get back in the game because of them. So I look forward to sharing that with you in two weeks and keep your eye on our Twitter 
and on our social media, we're going to be sharing a little bit of a preview from that episode um, before we release it.